0: to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.
1: I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast.
2: We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong.
3: Hi, society! <laughs>
0: Canceled! All right. Welcome to <laughs> The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate the films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones.
3: And I'm Brian Connolly, also a host of this show.
0: Yes, you are. And today, (laughs) we are covering the musical, the Cole Porter musical from 1956, starring Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Grace Kelly, and Louis Armstrong, High Society. And (laughs) this is my favorite film musical. I think it is... Wow. Other people may have different favorites, but I can't imagine anyone could argue that there is a better <laughs> film musical than this. In the sense of, like, who, who are the singers, who's the songwriter, who's the arranger, yeah. and where it's happening in their careers in terms of their strength as performers. It's, uh, it's a pretty heavy crew. You got Louis Armstrong, who's the great instrumentalist of his age. You have Sinatra and Bing Crosby, who are the great song, uh, the great singers of their age. Uh, You got Nelson Riddle uh, arranging it at a time when he's on a run with Frank Sinatra, making some of the best albums ever made. And you got Cole Porter, the you know, arguably the great American songwriter of the twentieth century. At the peak of his skills, and at a point when saw, when recording uh, technology had caught up to the point where you could record all of this in a way that was sort of subtle and not as bombastic as you would have had to, you know, even a decade earlier. Yeah. And then there's and that's that that's just the music. There's actually more going on here, but uh, but that's. That's why I love this film. You just watched it. <laughs>
3: yeah, and uh, I didn't know what I was getting into with this one. I, for some reason, in my head, I was convinced that Humphrey Bogart was in this movie my whole life. Is there another? Is there a movie he's in with Frank Sinatra? Or did I totally make that up? Does that exist in the world? <laughs> If not, I thought it was this movie. And then I was like, oh, it's not Humphrey Bogart. It's Bing Crosby. You couldn't be more different with a type of man. Uh, So I was like, oh, it's a Bing Crosby. And then I was like, oh, wait, Grace Kelly? And then it was like, oh, I didn't know this was a remake of the Philadelphia story. Like, I had no idea. So I'm just like going in with all these surprises, like in the first minute, just with the opening credits. I was just like, oh, this is, oh, this is, I had no idea. I didn't know it was a musical. I didn't know that Louis Armstrong was in it. Uh, So I was instantly very, like, drawn. I was just like, what is this movie? And then I kept asking that question throughout the entire movie. (laughs) And uh, it's very, it's an interesting pick. It's definitely, uh, I'm interested to talk to you about this because I have a lot of questions for you. Um, And yeah, so I'm just, I'm excited to, yeah, there's a lot of things in this that kind of maybe go, oh, wait, like a lot of like, I'm getting comfortable watching this delightful comedy musical, and then there's things that make me sit up and I'm going, wait, what? Uh-huh. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of that going on where I'm like, yep. I can't totally, <laughs> like, I can't totally tune this movie out. I can't just be like, this is just a nice thing to relax to on a morning. Like, I, I watched this while I ate breakfast, and there was every few minutes something. We're like, oh wait, and I rewound it a bunch, be like, did I miss something? Like, is there like, what's going on here? And so there was a lot of that, uh, in a good way. <laughs> so- full of surprises
0: Uh, yeah so well let's let's let uh, let's let Louis Armstrong welcome us into this film and then let's come back and unpack it
2: Just. That scenery floating by We're now approaching Newport Port Island We've been for years in variety Charlie and now we're going to be in high, high So high society, high society I wanna play for my former band he runs the local dance festival. His name is Dexter, and he's good news. But something kind of tells me that boy is nursing nice the blues. and high, high, highs, high society, high society, high society, high, high, high society, high society. He's got the blues cause his former wife Begins to borrow a brand new life She started lately a new affair And now the silly chick is gonna marry a square Higher, higher, so higher, so sire Higher, so sire, so it's Squarety, well Higher, so higher, so Higher, so sire but Brother the text trust distrust you set. Stop that wedding and kill that match. And toot my trumpet to start the fun. And play in such a way that you will come back to your son. And I, I high I a side in the high this battle do So this but yes. Can you dig old Satchmoe swinging in the beautiful high society? You dig? End of song, beginning of story. <laughs>
0: So uh, so High Society from 1956 is like attending a very wealthy person's party. All their <laughs> stuff is the best, and you love it. But there's something just a little bit creepy about everything, and you can't tell <laughs> if it's actually creepy or if you're just kind of too low rent to get it, like you're kind of like Frank Sinatra and Celeste Home are in this film, like you're just prejudging them. But then as years go by and you look back on it, you you realize, yeah, that was was creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the the dinner was great, the entertainment was fantastic. Everything was beautiful and amazing. But yeah, there was some there was something weird going on there. <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> this is kind of a haunted film. It's beautiful, it's kind of like Sinatra's records from that era they're beautiful but there's a darkness there's a there is a there's this is the furthest thing from a noir film but there is noir at the edges of this in some ways that well we can get into but every time I watch it I have this feeling of being transported by the music and seeing new things in the film that I don't feel were intended but the, the film has just grown darker and stranger over time for me.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, why, so this is the big question I have for watching this. How is the world wrong about this movie? Why is the world wrong about this movie?
0: Well, I just when people talk about the greatest film musicals, I never hear people bring this up. And True. I just, I, it, that makes no sense to me. Like, I'm trying to think of if it was like 1966 and the Beatles, like Lennon and McCartney wrote a musical, and if it was arranged by Burt Bacharach and it starred Bob Dylan and Elvis... And the Jimi Hendrix uh, Hendrix experience like that would be terrible. (laughs) Like, you know, it would it would I mean, but that's how much star power at the height of their abilities is going on here. And yeah, and and you have Sinatra's band leader, Nelson Riddle handling this music. So it feels like all of those great Sinatra recordings of that era so even though it's not included in the Sinatra canon of that era, musically it just feels like it it drops right in there, and you know you got you got Louis Armstrong, you got uh you, it's Grace Kelly's last film, and she she's an actress who I don't always love, but and her mm-hmm. character in this film is is uh I, I don't like this character when it was played by Catherine Hepburn, I don't particularly like it when it's played by Grace Kelly. But she manages to transcend a character that I find to be pretty unlikable. I'm curious, <laughs> can you think, what are what are your favorite film musicals?
3: Uh, I, I like musicals a lot. Um, and like growing up as a kid that like my mom watched a lot of them. So like I grew up with like all the Julie Andrews stuff, like Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, which still... I love those movies so much, even though they're like very long, but like, I just like her and like movies with lots of crazy dancing in it. Like I love, um, <clears throat> sweet charity is amazing. The mm-hmm. Bob Fosse movie. Yeah. But I also love just like the weird ones that nobody liked at the time. Like Popeye, like I'm a big fan of Popeye just cause I love, you know, Harry Nilsson and Robert Altman. And like, it's such a weird combo and that movie's so strange. Um, and I re- I'm a huge fan of Scrooge, the uh, Albert Finney <laughs> uh, Christmas Carol musical. Um, I love Bing Crosby, like, as a family, White Christmas. I watch that every year. So good. Like, it just, yeah, I, don't I just, like, there's not a lot of musicals I don't like. Like, I'm a big fan, especially of, like, the ones with lots of dancing in it. Like, Singing in the Rain is so good. And. You know, I'm just a sucker for it. Like, I'm excited for In the Heights coming out next week. Like, I'm going to watch some musicals whenever there's one around.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only musical that, that I feel like comes close to this in terms of just pure quality of the music is West Side Story. And then that's marred by having all of those voiceovers, those dubbed... Like the actors aren't really singing. And in this case, you've got the greatest singers. You know, there was a story, Elvis almost played Tony in (laughs) West Side Story. And that would have been that if if they had gone that route with West Side Story, West Side Story would have been even would have been even better.
3: Yeah. Well, maybe the Spielberg one will be even better i
0: can't imagine it will be. no i i mean i just I, you know. I i I doubt it i think they're probably going to sing like <laughs> i think they're going to sing like broadway actors as opposed to like the like in this case you are there are personality singers like yeah bing yeah. crosby sings like bing crosby and frank sinatra sings like frank sinatra and you yeah. know those actors it's good though but i'm not it's not even knocking it like you couldn't you can't reverse engineer, there's a there's a quality of kismet to this where, you know, it's like if you remade Streetcar Named Desire, people have tried to do it, but you can't reverse engineer introducing Marlon Brando to the world. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I'm with you. I, I, I love a lot of musicals, but usually when people talk about the best musicals, they talk about like South Pacific and Oklahoma. I'm like, those yeah. don't, like, come on, forget about it. Like this is Sinatra <laughs> and Louis Armstrong. Like, there's points when Louis Armstrong is playing the interstitial music and leading, the the sort of directing the action and interacting yeah. with the film. And... I really like
3: that a lot. Oh, it's yeah. so like good. like him and his band being sort of like this Greek chorus in a way was really smart. That was really fun. To do that, and how he how he opens and closes the movie, like just how he's sort of the one taking you through this journey in a weird way, is great. Did you know the mansion that they pull up to at the beginning? That is the mansion in the Beverly Hillbillies. Same no. mansion.
0: I That's didn't know that. That's
3: the Clampett mansion. <laughs> That's that was exciting. <laughs> that Who is... lived there? Who lived there? They're like, yeah, let's have these guys, and then ten years later, we'll have to. Silly sitcom. Shocker. Well, you know, so yeah. this is where we get
0: into like the parts of the movie, some of the parts of the movie that it's weird. There's so much that is that I judge about this movie, but it's not that I don't like that it's in the movie. I just find it. There's parts of it that are just so ludicrous that I kind of roll my eyes and wait for the music to <laughs> kick in again. And parts of it is like the the sort of oh these poor rich people being be, they're just they're, they're getting taxed too much they can't afford the upkeep on their mansions <laughs> that's yeah and I feel like yeah well that's the those are the people who uh, who rented their their place out to the Clampets Beverly Hillbillies
3: and, <laughs> you don't want to just board it up for 20 years you want to like make some money where are we headed anyway the
2: graveyard I'm not ready I thought I'd show you the playground of the rich graveyard of wealth.
4: Well, for that, I'm ready.
0: Beautiful, isn't it?
4: The grass needs cutting. It's been boarded up for 15 years. Why? The high cost of being rich. Most of the homes here are closed up or sold for taxes. Why don't you write about that?
0: So, yeah, let's I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the production of this I, as far as what I know, I, I've, what I've been able to piece together. So. Thinking about Sinatra, he has a run that starts in 1953 with uh with from here to from here to eternity coming out that basically turned his career around. We've seen the story uh, depicted in The Godfather <laughs> and. Whether whether or not you believe the legend, that's that's what that's about. And this is and yeah, as much as you can think, there's something diabolical about that. What is inarguable is that from that point through till 1960, Sinatra was just on the most feverish run of creative and commercial successes of. You know, that I mean, it rivals anyone, and oh, yeah, I mean, everyone talks about the Beatles and the 60s, but yeah, the Beatles are putting out a couple of albums every year for most of those years, and uh, and they made some movies, but their movies weren't good for the most part, and they weren't Uh, making (laughs) a one or more movies every year, and they weren't giving you know, Academy Award worthy performances in them, and Sinatra was.
3: He's got to be the... I can't think of an anyone else like this where it's like you are making some of the greatest albums of all time while making some of the greatest movies of all time simultaneously, non-stop. Yeah. Like for a decade. Yeah. <laughs> like, And I think people forget that like before Beatlemania, before Elvis, like Frank Sinatra was kind of the first like people going crazy and mobs in the street to see a celebrity. Like it kind of started with him and like, you know, like, well, yeah, he was, he was (laughs) the guy that everyone like went nuts for.
0: And that's before the period I'm talking about. So it's like, if the Beatles had become (laughs) successful and done other things and broke up and then they got together and then things really got good. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's, I think people
3: like strangely take Frank Sinatra for granted in a weird way. Like he's world renowned, but I think people don't quite understand that, like what he had accomplished back then. You know? Yeah. So Um, and yeah, it's so good. No, it's it's just exciting. It's an exciting thing to witness.
0: And so, while this is a vehicle for all of these stars, the Sinatra. Uh, you know, just the the superstar stardom of Sinatra and the Sinatra machinery really puts its stamp on this film. Yeah, and yeah. that also probably, a, a, you know, could also speak to some of its haunted qualities. But we'll get to that. <laughs> but what I think is pretty amazing is all of the music for this was recorded in January of 1956. The film was finished by March of 1956. And during that time, Sinatra was also recording and preparing for the release of Songs for Swinging Lovers, which is one of his great albums.
4: You make me feel so young. are just like a couple of tots Running across a meadow Picking up lots of forget-me-nots You make me feel so young
0: Just the idea that you have you make me feel Louis Armstrong's band and the Nelson Riddle Orchestra and all of these singers gathering in January of that year to record all this music that then they were clearly filming to and I think that's one of the things that I love about this film it really does feel like a music first film and the director Mm -hmm. is directing to the music uh, more than more than the other way around and even Grace Kelly who's not a professional great singer they used her voice and they didn't bring in some other you know some other vocalist to dub her part. And I feel like that also really gives the film a kind of singer songwriter authenticity to it, even though they're not the songwriters, but there's a way that you hear the voice coming out of the person who's actually singing it. And they sang it like earlier that could have been singing it earlier that month. So though these performances are already in them. So when they're singing, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't have that quality that a lot of musicals have where when the music kicks in, the the whole vibe of the world changes like that you can yeah yeah they're clearly they go when they start singing they go into Sinatra land or Bing Crosby land and you can tell that it's a produced track but it doesn't have that jarring effect that a lot of musicals have
3: and then like I think because of who it is too it's just sort of like in my mind I'm like well of course Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby are going to start singing to each other while they're drinking. Like what else would they be doing? <laughs> like yeah, that must happen all the time. <laughs> like it's, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like oh this is weird. This is like the reality is paused for them to sing. I think it also helps that it's like Louis Armstrong's band, like they're playing for this jazz festival. Like it's it's the music is incorporated into the movie where you imagine that everybody's hearing the music in the movie. It's not like some weird yeah other time moment, like out of time moment. Like it is like a thing that people are like
0: experiencing in the film in a way. So let's, there are things to be critical of this film and we're going to get to them, but I want to just kind of walk through the musical numbers because I feel like that's where the, that's where this film is just so great. So yeah, Uh, you, you heard Louis Armstrong's opening. They come in on this bus playing their music on the bus. They're playing the, it's actually the Louis Armstrong band what do you think about that?
3: uh, that was the great that's great, like I love Louis Armstrong so much, like he brings me such joy, just like a second of his voice, any of his music is the best, and just having them be the the opening and having them basically like looking into the camera and just being like, "Okay, here's this movie that's <laughs> so good, and having the band kind of come in. Like having these guys on their tour bus come into this like rich neighborhood pull up in front of this mansion i think the guy likes like i think they even asked like is it okay we go through this door is this like the back door or whatever and then bing crosby lets them into this insanely huge room <laughs> and it's just like okay you're gonna be in here and this is where you're gonna be and you're gonna practice for this this uh music festival and it was just a great it was an exciting way to open the movie. Um, yeah it's it's when you knew like you're in good hands in this movie like this movie is going to be okay because louis armstrong must have more than just this song i'm sure so you're like okay i'm going to sit through this movie
0: and there's like um so i love louis armstrong too and just to put it in his in historical context this would have been this is 1956 and this is after Miles Davis and Charlie Parker and the next generation of jazz performers has sort of emerged. And this is a time when Louis Armstrong is getting criticized from some for sort of catering to a white audience and being, uh, you know, just sort of playing a kind of uh, black cliche that other that other people found, I don't know, injurious in some way. And it's, it's hard. That's one of the haunted things about this film and watching it is the, the double feeling of, Oh, this is so good. And, Oh, does this hurt? Is this hurting him to do this? Is he, is he, as, is he as happy doing this as he seems as should I be enjoying this as much as I am? It's so good. It's so good. And it does kick off for him. He, You know, unlike some other people who are in this, where it's kind of the kind of the end or the last great thing they did on film. He goes on a run of, uh, of playing himself in a bunch of other movies after this. He's in Paris Blues as Wild Man Moore, a film that I really like, directed by Martin Ritt. Uh, he was also in a great film that I uh, I saw recently called A Man Called Adam, with um, Sammy Davis Jr. and Cicely Tyson and Ozzie Davis. So he ended up acting in a lot more films. There's something about this and just his role in it that, yeah, it's just it's like the rest of this film. It's a joy when it first happens and the more you look into it, the more there's this abyss of not knowing that opens up where you sort of have to like, okay, well, how do I feel about this when I think about it? When I don't <laughs> think about it, I just want to enjoy it. Like a good, good song. But when you do think about it, you're like, well, what what ghosts is uh, Louis Armstrong smuggling into this film uh, just by with his mere presence? there it is I I think it does lend the film particularly as horn playing it lends the film this deep authenticity that it wouldn't have otherwise but Mm -hmm, it's it's not cheap and it's not easy and uh did you have now you uh, you said you have questions for me and I will get to them if you but it was (laughs) that one of the areas that brought up concerns for you what Louis Armstrong? Yeah, or just the way he no the way he plays uh, <sighs> the black the ultimate black friend to to Bing Crosby in this.
3: I mean, I I just like him so much. I'm just like, well, here's the guy that basically invented jazz. He, you're yeah. right. This is a time when this is a time when he wasn't really considered cool, and his music was considered kind of old fashioned, and it wasn't part of the. You know the newer cooler stuff, and this is like in that moment, yeah, between like a Charlie Parker and a John Coltrane, and like when jazz started to get it was changing, you know, and Malcolm it's just, X probably I,
0: didn't like this film, I'm just saying
3: <laughs> but but he i've he i there's something about him that I really like there's just something that I find really charming and funny, and he's just an amazing you know uh, musician, and I don't know, I just feel like. There, like, I had a I took a jazz class in college, and the teacher was a guy who played bass like back in the '50s or '60s with jazz people, and he, he was always like, he was a big champion of Louis Armstrong because he was like, yeah, he was like, there was a time he wasn't considered cool, like he was just considered like, oh, you play this kind of Dixieland thing, or you're just sort of like, you're not like modern like the rest of people, but like when you listen to the music, it is like, it is really good, it is really smart, it's not. Oh yeah. You know, it's not free jazz and it's not like crazy John Coltrane or whatever, but it is still really, really good in the way that it is. And you have to like I don't know, he just like just enjoy it. Just like don't poo-poo it. Like <laughs> embrace it. And so whenever I see Louis Armstrong, I embrace it. I'm like, I love this music. This music, it just makes me happy whenever I hear anything he sings or does. It's great. Yeah, and his voice is his voice is amazing. He's an amazing, unique to his own voice. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I, yeah,
0: I, like, I absolutely. He's one of the yeah. You know, he's he's one of like, the most charismatic people who has ever yeah lived you know, ever and lived. Like, in
3: a, and yeah. In a perfect world, he should be the star of this movie, but unfortunately, because it was 1956, America and Hollywood in general wasn't cool with that yet, which is shitty yeah uh, like you know he's definitely more of a better jazz musician than Bing crosby <laughs> yeah. but but Bing Crosby's good at what he does, you know, but it's yeah. like but it's like it's one of those things we have to kind of keep it in a context, and like yeah, it does feel weird that he's sort of the black guy let in through the back door and has to just kind of live in Bing Crosby's you know you know living room or whatever, <laughs> while everybody else is running around living these rich lives, and then you have Grace Kelly crying about. Boarded up mansions, yeah. yeah it's, that's weird. It's weird. It's a <laughs> that's definitely yeah. very it's a problematic.
0: Really mixed but, bag because you've got. I love that they have his band in it. I, it's yeah. fantastic that his band are there. But then sometimes when you see them, there's just a lot of there's just a lot of smiling, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of a lot of a lot of happy, you know, happy happy <laughs> black faces in a situation where that wasn't you know that was a little bit yeah. It just it's just it's haunted and it's haunted <laughs> by history and you can't take that out of it so like the other big number that louis armstrong has in it is with ben crosby on now yeah. you has <laughs> jazz which yeah. a, so, a, a, a friend of mine once like i told him that i loved this this uh, musical at one point years ago of a, a very sophisticated <laughs> musical friend of mine who's like, oh, but that scene—it's—it's it's musical blackface. It's just—it's—it's minstrelly. Dear gentle folk of Newport,
4: or maybe I should say hats and caps. I want you to lend an ear because, uh, well, I want you to hear some really shimmering sharps, flats. For these cozy virtuosi. Just about the greatest in the trade are fixing to show you now precisely how, or oh, approximately, jazz music is made. Well, you take some skin, jazz begins, and you take a bass. Man, now we're getting someplace. Take a box, one that rocks. Take a blue on New Orleans bar. Ah, you take a stick with a lick. Take a bone. Oh, hold the phone. Take a spot cool and hot now you have jazz, 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 little don't song. Oh, that's positively therapeutic.
0: And it it kind of, like, I, I had never thought of that. And then when I, then it's one of those things when someone points that out to you, first you sort yeah. of feel ashamed that you didn't notice it. And then you sort of are like, you're kind of resentful that this person yeah. has taken away something that you were able to enjoy in your ignorance before, and now you can't. Yeah. And then eventually you kind of get to this point where I'm just going to enjoy this music. <laughs> Like I can't. It's. I mean, this is in the is, background. Is, <laughs> there's a. There's. Like I'm he, haunted by it. But goddamn, it's yeah. so
3: good. Like, you got to wonder what Louis Armstrong thinking when you're like Bing Crosby's in front of me explaining what jazz is. Now like, you should, should jazz, should, jazz, should, jazz. Like, sh- like, shouldn't Louis Armstrong be explaining what jazz is since he fucking invented it? <laughs> yeah. And instead, you have Bing Crosby. Like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> but, <laughs> definitely some red flags there. <laughs> And I guess that, like, that is, is it racist? Is it problematic to do the Louis Armstrong voice? Like, I did it at the beginning of this. I always think, like, to me, that's not doing a racist black voice. That's Louis Armstrong's voice. He has this interesting voice.
0: Is that yeah, okay? no, I mean, I think. If, Should I have not done no, that? No, I think there are singers who <laughs> do Billie Holiday, like, who do Frank yeah, Sinatra. yeah. Do Bob That's Dylan? His voice. If we did did a yeah. thing on Bob Dylan, we could do this. It's his, you know. It's not making, it's not offensive to Jews. Yeah. It's Bob Dylan's voice. <laughs> Jews don't sound like that. Bob Dylan does, uh, <laughs> and he doesn't even sound it's, like that. This is a very, very, very I bad mean, impression of him.
3: <laughs> but, it's a You, you yeah. can also say it's the Louis Prima oh, voice, I guess, yeah. it's or like and it's sing. the singing Tom voice. Waits voice. Tom Waits. Yeah. Tom Waits. You know, so Buster Dexter. Yeah, yeah that, that kind of that great gravelly yeah. like. Yeah. I just love it. Yeah. I love hearing it. I love doing it.
0: <laughs> well, you know, as one white guy to another, I give you permission to do that voice, I guess. I don't, uh, like, uh-oh, oh, we're boy. both canceled. No. Um, I, I hmm. think <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't hold it against anyone who heard us doing that and were, was like, yeesh. I think that's the feeling of this film. I think, you know, there is something about this film Uh, that when you engage it, there's an eek factor, but God damn, the music is so good. And it's not like you have Louis Armstrong singing with a bad singer in this. Bing Crosby is one of the great singers, probably the first great on-microphone pop singer ever. And so, you know... He has some cred to be on that stage. Probably shouldn't be standing in front of Louis Armstrong, but at least Louis Armstrong isn't standing next to a total dud. He is there with <laughs> one of the great singers yeah. of all time. So, yeah. And they ended up working together a lot after this. So it was a, uh, a fruitful relationship for the yeah. both of them. Uh, yeah. um, so let's move to another, one of the, the standout songs. Uh, and it's with... Frank Sinatra and Celeste Holm. And we can talk a little bit about Celeste Holm. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? It, it, they made it into a, into, a TV sh- into a TV show you might have heard of. But <laughs> I'm going to just say that I feel like the song as, is better than the, than the show.
2: That's my opinion. Would I trade places <laughs> with Miss Tracy Lord for all her wealth and beauty? <clears throat> just ask
4: me. All right, I will. When you trade places with Miss Tracy Lord for all of her wealth <laughs> and her beauty?
2: You know,
4: I can't help thinking about it. Who wants to be a millionaire?
2: I don't.
4: Have flashy flunkies everywhere?
1: I don't.
4: Who wants the bother of a country estate?
1: A country estate is something I'd hate.
4: (laughs) Who wants to wallow in champagne? I don't. Who wants a supersonic plane? Who wants a private landing field too? wait? I don't. And I don't, cause, cause all, all I want is you. Who wants to be a millionaire? I do. Who wants uranium to spare?
1: I don't.
4: Who wants to journey on a gigantic yacht? Do
1: I want a yacht? No, oh, how I do not.
4: I don't.
1: Who wants to tire of caviar?
4: Mm Who wants a marble swimming pool too? I don't. And I don't, cause all I want is you.
0: Great song. And the performance with Celeste Holm and Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra's great, but Celeste Holm singing with him, you're like, Everyone's like, "Who's Celeste Holm? Who's Celeste Holm?" Well, she should, have, you know, she was a she was an Academy Award nominee for Gentleman's Agreement*, and she had a brief run as a very popular screen actress. But this was kind of the end of that, and then she went to TV after afterwards, which, proving once again that life was was tough on actresses after they turned, you know, thirty-five or you know, at, in nineteen fifty in the nineteen fifties. But ah oh boy, she totally holds her own with Sinatra on this song.
3: <laughs> and this scene is great. I love this scene.
0: Yeah. It's just seeing Sinatra
3: be kind of goofy is fun. Uh-huh. Where he's like playing with all the props in the scene. Like they're walking around this room and he's just like having fun. And he's being kind of goofy. He's kinda of like breaking out of his cool that he has, or that you know of him, and he's like, and like and I kinda of feel that way about this whole movie in a way it's like to see him kind of relax a bit and not have to be Frank Sinatra. I mean, he still is Frank Sinatra, but he's letting himself be a little funny. And like, we'll talk about it later in the scene when he's doing the drunk number with Bing Crosby is more of that too, where he's just like, he's loose here. He's really having fun. He seems to be having fun, you know? Um, And yeah, and this number is a great number and he's have, and they're both seem to be having a great time doing it. Like, why wouldn't they? It's just like, you are singing these great—you're singing Cole Porter songs like with these great performers. Like, must going to work must have been very fun on this movie.
0: Well, yes, and also a little bit fraught. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 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 duet between Crosby and Frank Sinatra.
4: You are still in love with her. Oh, don't deny it, buddy. I wasn't going to. Oh, does she know this? Yeah, she knows it. Nah, that ain't the way I get it. What's that? I have heard among this clan You are called a forgotten man Is that what they're saying? Well, did you ever? What a swell party this is And have you heard the story of A boy, a girl, unrequited love Sounds like pure soap, I may cry Tune in tomorrow What a swell party this is what frails, what frocks? what broads, what furs, what rods, they're beautiful, oh, I've never seen such gaiety, these are divine, it's all just too, too excuse, really, this French champagne, domestic, so good for oh, the French, that's what I was gonna say, you know you're a brilliant fellow, thank you, drink up Jack, oh, please don't eat that glass, my friend, have you heard about dear Blanche Got run down by an avalanche No Don't worry, she's a game girl, you know Got up and finished four this Kids has got guts Having a nice time? Grab a line Have you heard that Mimsy star What now? She got pinched in the Astor bar Sauced again, eh? She was stoned Well, did you ever? Never What a, a swell party is. this is I'm gonna have a drink I may have a bit of the bubbly myself. I'm going to say Don't get
0: hurt. At least according to legend, one of the reasons that Sinatra wanted to do this was because he idolized Bing Crosby uh, oh, yeah. as a young singer. And Bing Crosby was a little bit dismissive of Sinatra. And there's an ad lib. If you listen to the soundtrack album of Well Did You Eva, there's a point when... Sinatra sings line and then Bing Crosby says you must be one of the new fellas and then they go back to the song and him saying you must be one of the new fellas isn't in the isn't on the soundtrack but it's clearly a, you know it's a line that they put in on the set
4: Don't dig that kind of croon in you must be one of the newer fellas.
0: They do seem like they're having a blast, but there's also, you can tell, there's some ego going on in terms of who gets how many ballads and how they are singing together. Like, they are both trying to show off. Not to outdo the other one, but certainly not to be outdone by the other one.
3: Yeah. Well, I know, so I know you've always been a big Frank Sinatra fan. You actually turned me on to Frank Sinatra. I was not interested in it. And you, I remember you went with me to a place, and you told me which Frank Sinatra album I should get. And I got it, and it was, and I was like, "Yeah, this is good." <laughs> it, you know, I now have a bunch of yeah. them. But you, like, I was like, "Okay," but how? Like, but are you also partial to Bing Crosby because he is a Washingtonian because he is from Tacoma? Yeah. Like I, I, when I was a kid, I remember we we visited his house or whatever. It was by the church we went to. Mm-hmm. Like it was across the street from the Catholic church they went to as a kid was Bing Crosby's house. Or I don't know which version of his house where in his life it was. But I remember my dad always being like, Oh, that's where Bing Crosby lived And it was always like, Oh, that's he's from Tacoma? How amazing is that that this famous man is from Tacoma <laughs> It's it's I've always enjoyed that about Bing Crosby
0: Yeah, I I mean they're just both great singers. They I mentioned before about uh, that he's was sort of one of the first on mic singers, and what I mean is that there's yeah. actually I believe he was an investor in some of the early microphone technology, and yeah. so he just there was a kind of singing before Bing Crosby that was all about being as loud as you could possibly be, and. Yeah once we get beyond that just singing becomes what i think of as singing that th- the singing that is about reaching the back of the room has always struck me as because i was raised on microphone singing as being just a you know cheesy and like alienating in as opposed to drawing me in and so i it, my my fondness for bing crosby Pretty much extends to his voice, not so much to like. I never felt a real strong affinity for him in the Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movies. I always liked Bob Hope more. And when I was a kid, I was you know I didn't like when they would go to a Bing Crosby song. I'd be like, come move, 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 (laughs) unless they were singing together. Which I feel like in a way, this Sinatra and Bing Crosby, the way they sing, that there is a Bob and Bing something going on there. Although Frank Sinatra is a greater singer by a long way than than Bob, Bob. Hope. <laughs> but the way that song is is built is like a Bob and Bing song. <laughs> With them ribbing each other and just winking through it the whole time. So yeah. very well so done. It's,
3: it's a great song. It's, uh, it's funny to me that Frank Sinatra plays a character named Macaulay Connor. <laughs> Uh, you know that nice young Irish boy Frank Sinatra (laughs) right (laughs) maybe that's why Bing Crosby didn't like him so much on set who knows but it's (laughs) um but yeah that scene that is a great song too like the that's the one where they're getting drunk right yeah and it's amazing to have and I'm sure Frank Sinatra maybe built this in his future. The library where the wall moves, uh, books, and a bar comes out. <laughs> the, it's it's kind of it's kind of a precursor to what happens in uh, Robin and the Seven Hoods, in a way, <laughs> right? The the hiding the bar behind a thing and having it be uh, yeah, that great kind of Prohibition era uh, secret bar. Um. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, that's a great... And again, that's a scene where he's just having fun and just seeing them plan play drunk is really fun. Yeah, it's just a delight.
0: Yeah, it totally is. And there's a great... Like, oh, go on. Sorry.
3: It just, just this whole movie, just everybody's voice, like all these different voices is so great. I think I just wrote in my notes really big, like these voices, like Louis Armstrong to Bing Crosby to Grace Kelly to Frank Sinatra, like all their voices are so great. Like you could just turn the image off and I could just listen to them talking and singing because I love their voices so much.
0: And the Uber voice of Cole Porter and just the, the, like there's a line, one of my favorite, I have so many favorite Cole Porter lines, but the, the one, so the, the song have you well, have you ever uh, have you ever is a, a call and response. They're going back and forth. So it's like, Uh, Frank Sinatra says, Have you heard that Mimsy Starr... She got pinched in the Aster bar. And, you know, he he's squeezing a little, he's smuggling some ass into the line without actually saying it. And that's a song from an earlier musical, but I love that they brought that one in for this. There was just, there is something literally cheeky about it. And I love it.
3: Yeah, that, I noticed that. I was like, oh, they're really, they're really sneaking, smuggling some stuff into this movie. Uh
0: Yeah. <laughs> And then there are just, there's a, there's several great ballads. I think the two greatest, for, well, the, 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 let's go with the best one is the song True Love has always been one of my favorite, just favorite songs, not just favorite Cole Porter songs. sun tan, wind
4: honey-mooners that last alone. Feelings far above power. Oh how lucky.
0: to cover it myself. And this is a duet with Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly and they do this just gorgeous harmony that feels like something that would be could be in a Beatles song from like 7 or 8 years later, just this very sophisticated harmony when they sing together in this beautiful scene where they're on they're sailing on the boat, the true love that they you know from I guess we're not really telling the story. If you've seen the Philadelphia story, you know, basically the, where she has a, uh, Grace Kelly has a flashback to when she was married to Bing Crosby's character and they're on this boat called the True Love and they're singing the song True Love. With nothing to do
1: But to give
0: Of amazing moments and better singers than grace kelly i think that might be my favorite thing Crazy. in the whole movie is that duet
3: Crazy. i'm impressed that it's really her singing because i watched the movie i was like is that really her singing like i didn't know she yeah. could sing and but it's cool to find out that it really was her then
0: and then sinatra has you're sensational which it's just another it's just a it's a classic Sinatra song of that era
4: i've no proof when people say you're more or less aloof but you're sensational i don't care if you are called Fair Miss Frigidaire Cause you're sensational Making love is quite an art What you require is the proper squire To fire your heart And if you say that one fine day you'll let me come to call We'll have a ball you you're a sensational Sensational That's all
0: But kind of out of his canon, you don't really hear your sensational on best of Sinatra mixes or playlists, but I think it's it should be right in there mm-hmm. with uh, with other songs from that era like "Old Devil Moon" or "Under My Skin," which came out on uh, "Songs for Swinging Lovers" that same year. Do you have any comment on those on those two songs?
3: It's just they're just all great. Like this is just a music. Like, some musicals will have a few duds in the movie where you're like, oh, I'm gonna skip this song. This isn't the best song. Yeah, there's not a bad song in this movie, and they're all like from beginning to end. And everybody gets their great song more than once. It seems like, <laughs> so it's like everyone gets to do like everything we've talked about so far. These are all great songs, great numbers. It's just it's just solid. Like I see why you think this is one of the best musicals because it's just like it's a hundred percent solid. Like it really is. There's no fault in the music part of it At all
4: Yeah Cause you're sensational Sensational That's all That's
3: When did you first see this movie? Mm. How did you see? What was the circumstances that you watched this movie? Did you watch it as a kid?
0: I feel like I saw it as a kid and it was in my mind, but I didn't really, I didn't know all of this information. And so it just was a thing that I had seen. And then when I was in college, I did a paper, uh, a comparative study of Cole Porter and Woody Guthrie as troubadours of their class. And so I got really into looking at Cole Porter. And when you dig into Cole Porter on film, this one just jumps out. I mean, Kiss Me Kate is good. But if you want to know what I'm talking about, about the difference between just the... The perfection of this and the very greatness of "Kiss Me, Kate." If you listen to him, like "Kiss Me, Kate," still seems like they're singing like this, and they're singing like this, and they're singing like <laughs> this. Come to I it wealthily in are
2: If wealthily, then happily in are. If my wife has a bag of gold, do I care if the bag? and it's good
0: it's fine but that's not Bing Crosby up on you know like that stuff is just so much more inviting and I, I, there if I recommend people check out the musical of kiss me Kate it's fantastic but you put the two together it's great and I you just it. see like this, it, like musically, this is a record you want to put on and listen to just like you would the great Sinatra records of that era in yep. a way that you oh, yeah. you, know, you wouldn't with Kiss Me Kate. It's not like a you couldn't, you can't put that on yeah. with dinner. <laughs> I mean, some dinners, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely more of a driving in the car and singing with your family kind of <laughs> record. Um so yeah, that's kind. Of, I think that's where I and I actually taped all of the songs off of a of uh, VHS. I loved this so much, and I couldn't. And it was before wow. you could just find albums any and find all the stuff on the internet anywhere. So I made a bootleg tape, and just, I drove around for for years, driving my band crazy, making them listen to uh, this and the songs from Kiss Me Kate. <laughs> like, How can we get more of this into our music? <laughs> well. <laughs> Then, well, there's a few other songs, but I feel like those are really the standouts. Maybe Samantha, I Love You, Samantha is a really good song, but the best part of it is Louis Armstrong's trumpet introduction, just the solo trumpet introduction. There's a scene where Mm -hmm. there's a transition and he starts playing and then it cuts to Bing Crosby just sort of singing to himself while he's getting dressed. And again, it's just there's that he's not, you know, proclaiming this song. It's a very internal feeling, like we're we're brought into his world.
4: So much
0: I can't imagine any other moment in any musical that is like that. Again, like one of the great instrumentalists of all time leading us into this very intimate moment with one of the greatest singers of all time, singing a song by one of the greatest songwriters of all time. It's just it's so good that uh, it makes me sad that we're going to have to get into the territory we're about to go into. (laughs) <laughs> in talking about this film. <laughs> so uh, so I have a lot of ideas I'd like to share but you ha- you said you have some questions for me. So lay them on me.
3: Uh, um yeah, it just sort of like do you, you like this movie a lot? But do you agree that it's kind of the directing isn't great? Cuz it, it kind of feels stagey. Like it feels like a movie based on a play cuz it is. Like I feel like this if this was directed by like a Vincent Minnelli, or anybody. <laughs> like I just feel like the, I know the guy who directed this. I've never even heard of him. And I looked through like like Charles Walters. I'm like, who's that? And I looked through his filmography, and I'm like, oh, okay, I've seen some of these movies. They're not amazing movies, but like I feel like it definitely kind of. I wished the filmmaking was a little better. But you seem to look past that because you like the music so much. Like that was the kind of the one sore spot for me was it just felt kind of flat in terms of how it was filmed in a way yeah i guess like shot like the way a tv show would have been shot is kind of how i would
0: describe it yeah i guess i guess maybe tv because it seems a lot of
3: like it's like a lot of wide shot and then coverage close-up and then it's a lot of like it feels like definitely like this is a play where someone comes through this door and we're all in this room and it's clearly a set and it just sort of like it, it was filmically, to me, wasn't very strong in terms of just the way it was shot, and the way it looked.
0: Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, that just goes by me, with some with this it's sort of like, <laughs> hey, how can like as can I see Frank Sinatra's face? Can I see Grace Kelly's face? Can I hear this music? Good enough. <laughs> like, as long as I can see them and hear them. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the the one thing I, well, there's two things I would say is one, th- the director had the good sense to let the music really be forward and yeah. didn't do like, there's something that they're doing in this that is not doing what, all, what so many other film musicals do that allows it to be the special thing it is. So I got to give the director some credit for not fucking it up. And I also think think there's something that's kind of, there's something that what's dumb about the film, sort of dumb and tone deaf about the film is what allows the ghosts in. I feel like allows the, the haunted quality as well. <laughs> like there's just, there's things in just in the very beginning, there's a way that the camera pushes in on the names and kind of shakes a little bit. Yeah, at the vi- yeah, that,
3: that, that weird helicopter shot at the very beginning
0: yeah it's like very shaky and you're just
3: kind of like what what is happening like this is a weird way to start this movie this weird shaky camera of newport it's like you couldn't f- get away to hold it still and get a bit <laughs> like you don't really understand what you're looking at you're like okay it's like you see some waters and houses but it's like shot like Almost looks like war footage, like you're about to see it get bombed or something. Like it's very <laughs> unsettling and weird. Like, yeah. like in my mind, you would shoot this like going down the street, seeing the mansions, or seeing the trees, or or whatever. But like that weird, shaky helicopter shot at the very beginning was so strange. And even before that, this movie I've never been unsettled by a movie during its company logo. Yeah. That is not not the normal Leo the lion. That is a different lion. That MGM logo at the beginning, he has like a shaggy beetle haircut. Like he looks like the the haircut that Tina Turner had in the 90s, right? That's what that (laughs) lion has at the beginning of this movie. And I'm like, that is not the normal MGM lion. It's like the angle's different. Like he's more in profile and it doesn't seem like his roar is as long. And he just looks like He's a member of Beatlemania or something. It's like this weird bull cut on a lion. Did you notice that? That was so weird. <laughs> like that was such a weird... I was like already, I was like the movie hasn't even started. And I'm like, why is the MGM logo so strange? That is so strange. Um, <laughs> and then it went into the helicopter shot. I'm like, I don't know what... The, this is so weird. And <laughs> so that was like... The beginning was like, what the fuck? And then... I don't. I, I had to rewind the movie after it finished because I was like, wait a minute. Wait, I'm supposed to think she gets back together with Bing Crosby? Like, what did I miss? Like, what did he do to make it so that's what happens? Because I was really expecting her to be like, and Frank Sinatra, I'm going to marry you. And then he takes off his tie and gives it to Bing Crosby. And I'm like, wait, what's happening? And then they get married? I was like, how is this earned? I don't understand. <laughs> Why is that? What happened? I didn't understand. I did not feel that that moment made en- that made no sense to me at all. Does that make sense to you that she would go with Bing Crosby in the end of this movie?
0: Uh, <laughs> sure <laughs> <laughs>
3: not Frank Sinatra.
0: It uh, seemed like there, well,
3: there's actually the thing is there's like the the Bing Crosby Grace Kelly stuff is funny and it has that kind of screwball comedy sort of like they don't get along but they love each other and they get along and they don't get along and it has that. But I feel like maybe because it's the casting of Frank Sinatra, but like when it's her and him together, they're on fire, you know. Like I just mm-hmm. feel like there's there's some chemistry there, and like I, I want to see them together. <laughs> and when he come when they, when he comes and carrying her and she's all wet because they went swimming and they're a little tipsy, I'm like, oh, this is great. And then his whole like. <clears throat> When he's trying to be a gentleman about it afterwards. And like that whole scene where he's defending what happened to her, hus- her husband-to-be. And then it keeps all goes to the end. And all of a sudden it's like, and now you're going to be with Bing Crosby. And I'm like, no, no, no. She should be with Frank Sinatra. This doesn't make any sense. I just didn't understand. I couldn't wrap my brain around it. Because <laughs> it seemed like he was just sitting always in some other room being like, what's going on over there? Oh, they're having fun. Like he didn't seem like he... And her were, like, leading towards that moment. It was very weird. Yeah. The, uh... (laughs) Like, I get more if it's, like, Cary Grant. Like, that I buy. But when it's Bing Crosby, I'm like, I don't don't really understand what's going on here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She should be
0: with Frank Sinatra. Well, you know, the thing about her choosing Bing Crosby is... Well, the, at the end of this film, it's definitely suggesting that girls should marry their fathers. I mean, in, in a, <laughs> at, this is the height of Freudian psychoanalysis in the culture in the late 50s. And so I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just peripheral but at the end of the movie the whole point her whole growth is that she forgives her father for his philandering and forgives her mother for forgiving her father and her big act of growing up is to choose to marry the guy who is most like not just her father but just like our screen father Bing Crosby yeah instead <laughs> of the lover or her husband
3: Okay, well, I, I still don't accept this ending, even with your answer. Uh, in fact, it makes me accept it even less, but that's fine. It, it just reminded me of like the end of like Pretty in Pink, where I'm like, no, you shouldn't be with Andrew McCarthy? What? No. You should be with John Cryer. Are we watching the same movie here? It's just that it doesn't make any sense. Like The movie doesn't understand its own chemistry between its actors. Anyways. Okay, okay. Anyways, well, that was just my I- I own... <laughs> Thing. I mean, it didn't make me hate the movie. I just remember I was just so like, did I miss some pivotal scene where I'm supposed to buy that and I couldn't find it? And I was like, I guess it wasn't there. I guess I was supposed to feel a way that everyone else did that I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess the other question, the last question that I had for you, is where where do you kind of place this in your list of other Frank Sinatra musicals? Like this definitely must be your favorite one, but how? Do oh you, yeah. But where? Like, what is sort of like the next favorite? Like after this, where would you go? I mean, for, the, for the musical singing ones. I mean,
0: my, Guys and Dolls is one of my oh, favorite oh, musicals ever, yeah, yeah. and and I'm not as down on Brando in that role as other people are maybe we could do an episode about that like <laughs> the world is wrong about brando in guys and dogs in that film i, th- I th- that that might be my other favorite of his could, but none of like, it really is like there's such a big leap from all other musicals to this <laughs> like it's funny, I, the only other musical that I feel like comes close and it's such a very, very different thing is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. <laughs>
3: a great movie, a great musical.
0: And it's it also, it's starring the guy who wrote it and it's, a, you know, basically, so there's, a, there's something, there's that other sort of rock and roll quality yeah. where it feels like you're not, it's not like the music kicks in and now we're into big production number. Yeah. It's it feels organic mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. and that is the, I think that's the hardest thing for a mu- a movie musical for sure, to do. Definitely, yeah, is t- to really feel organic when it's especially. I mean, like a film like Hard Day's Night, it's the band performing, and that 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 I would put that as one of like also one of the greatest movie musicals. But I feel yeah. like it's slightly different. Yeah, uh, it just uh, it it lives in a different yeah. world. But this. I feel like that's what I mean like high society gets to the place that a film like Hard Days Night lives in just naturally. Yeah. But it's but Hard Days Night is just it just is that whereas this is built. Yeah. It's a built thing that holds up as strongly as that real thing. Yeah. And so um what are what are your favorites of of Sinatra's musicals?
3: I mean, I love the silly stuff. <laughs> like I love Robin in the Seven Hoods. Like I love it's just it's just fun. You know, like I like those. Like I like. I mean, I love Guys and Dolls too, and I have no problem with Brandon. It. It's just so fun. The music is great. Um, mm-hmm. What's the one where he's the sailor? Um, the earlier one. Uh, oh, not uh, on the town or what? What's that
0: one called? I think it is on the town. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Yeah, on the town was uh, a musical. They they yeah. were it was that musical. That movie's great. Does he sing in... There's, he hasn't sing in... Um... Cannibal Run Part 2? No. <laughs> no I <was> gonna, in... <laughs> in Some Came Running.
3: No. That's my favorite movie of his, though. That's my favorite role of his. Yeah. Like, his acting goes. That's number one. That movie's a masterpiece. So, like, that, that's his best... Ad- I mean, Man with the Golden Arm is great, too. But, like... And that's what's so amazing about him is it's like, yeah, it makes sense that he'd be really good in this, but he was also really good in movies where he didn't sing. Like in From Here to Eternity, he's brilliant. And he's just acting and he just is a net. Act- like, I don't think he had training as an actor other than maybe he paid someone to help him before being in a movie, but like he didn't go to school for it, but he's incredible. Like he is one of the great actors of the 50s,
0: like for sure. Actually, my favorite, I, I think my favorite performance of his as a, is singing in any uh, in any film, and I'm, I hope I'm getting this right. He does "Set 'Em Up, Joe" in. Oh no! Uh, sorry, "One for My Baby" is the name of the song. Uh, "One for My Baby" in the film "Young at Heart," with hmm. Doris just, Day, just... and there's it's a great scene. It's one of the it's one of those things that I love in movies that rarely happens, where you have the singer performing and P- and the audience is just talking through his set which is the experience <laughs> of most people who perform publicly and not the experience like in every movie it seems like as soon as the singer starts starts singing everyone starts like it's like oh my god it's Elvis uh, maybe and I think <laughs> we talked about that in our episode about One Trick Pony oh, Set got a little
4: I got a little story You ought to know
1: (laughs) We're drinking, my friend
4: To the end Of a brief episode So make it one For my baby And one more For the road I got the routine. Put another nickel in the machine. I'm feeling so bad. Won't you make the music easy and sad? I could tell you a lie, but you got to be true to your code so make it one for my baby and one more for the road you'd never know it but buddy I'm a kind of poet and I got a lot of things to say, and when I'm gloomy, you simply gotta listen to me, till it's all talked away. Well, that's how it goes, and Joe, I know you're getting Could you me swamp? anxious. No, So thanks for the cheer I hope you didn't mind My bending in your ear But this torch that I found Must be drowned Or it soon might explode So make it one for my babe and one more for the road The long That
0: long road. Doris Day is sitting there watching him and feeling the way we all feel when we go see a performer that we love and the audience is rude to them and doesn't give them the attention they deserve. And... Uh, and it's also one of my favorite frank sinatra songs so oh what we didn't there's one other thing we need to we need to point out there's an awkwardness to this film that could not have been imagined by its creators and was also the case with philadelphia story but every time they talk about tracy Tracy lord Lord, i know
3: i i I, I, yeah def every (laughs) time it threw me i was like wait is that really your name and then I'm like, did Tracy Lord's name herself after this character? Is that like her porn name and not her real name? Like, but that's yeah, a weird. Yeah. That's a weird reference, I guess. Yeah, but no. Every time, every time in this movie, I'm like, oh, wait, what? So this is the only legal Tracy Lord movie that I've ever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, you saw
3: <laughs> Cry Baby. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm joking, but uh, yeah, that is definitely a thing that throws a weirdness over this movie. Is what the name Tracy Lord, Lords, what that... It's very strange.
0: <laughs> yes. So, yes. So, anyway, so while I was watching this film, and let's talk a little bit about that scene on the boat uh, where they're singing True Love, because when I saw that this time, what it immediately... The the weird connection I made in my brain was to the dream sequence in Rosemary's Baby on the boat with Kennedy on the sailboat Hmm. because he's kind of, they're kind of dressed the same. Like it's, the scene is at night and that the scene in the dream is in the bright of daylight, but there's some weird sort of dream logic, film dream logic when I was watching it that clicked. And then that spun me out into this whole way of thinking about this film that I haven't been able to shake. And I'm, hesitant to wade into it but let's just try okay. so then i couldn't help but keep watching this movie from the standpoint of mia farrow because of course she would go on to marry frank sinatra oh yeah and she would have been almost exactly the same age as the kid's sister in this film when this film came out and she liked the character Tracy. She had a sort of notorious, famous philandering father in John Farrow. And then, of course, she would go on to marry Frank Sinatra. So you kind of can, but there's a part of it that I, when I watch this, I can't help but imagine a young Mia Farrow watching this. And especially because there's just all of this cultural dialogue about films grooming potential victims of predators and when I'm watching this film it's like this is the most (laughs) grooming for predators film I can imagine especially including the fact that like I mean it's on some level it's almost like this film groomed Mia Farrow I mean if you're going to look at film in that way someone who's this girl's age is going is could grow up to, to marry Frank Sinatra Uh, who is also much older than her, sort of, Hmm. I don't know, there's something very weird about it. And, like, there's a scene, like, this: Frank Sinatra sings this song to the young girl, a love song to her about someday you'll marry me. No, Bing Crosby does that. Uh, Yeah, no, sorry, did I say Sinatra? I meant Bing Crosby sings. That was a very
3: strange, that was a strange scene. That was definitely strange. Dexter? Uh Uh-huh?
2: Are you ever going to get married again? Oh,
4: sure I am. But I am waiting for you to grow up.
2: Oh, Dexter, for you, I'll hurry. (laughs)
4: Yes, you're going to have to.
2: And, you know, I wouldn't have acted the way Tracy did when you published your song about her. I wish she'd write a song about me.
4: Would you like that, really? Well, we ought to be able to whip something up here. Oh, let me see now. Little one, I was so gloomy. Felt that life sure would undo me. Till one day you happen to me, my little one. Here now, little one, no controversy. You're my downfall. You're my Circe. I'm a good guy. Show me mercy, my little one. I have such love for you ¶ Our future could be ¶ Heaven above for you ¶ And paradise for me ¶ Little one, fate might miscarry ¶ Little one, why do you tarry Little one when may I marry you my little
0: one?
2: Oh Dexter, that was beautiful. I consider us engaged.
0: And very innocent in its time. It's like it is innocent! He's and trying yeah. to make her feel <laughs> good. She feels bad that that he, he and Tracy are divorced and she wants them to get back together, and she's heartbroken about it, but she's also kind of in love. With Bing Crosby, and so he sings right. this song "My Little One" to her, and you know, but from this again, just like the <laughs> Tracy Lord, like when they made yeah, this movie, <laughs> so they, they couldn't know that years later, history, the underage person would make gonna, us yeah. think differently about Tracy Lord, yeah. and they could not have known that years later there would be a conversation about that. <laughs> grooming that involves the child bride of Frank Sinatra.
3: Yeah, very... That's some weird... Like I, My brain didn't go quite to the extent where you went, but I definitely... It's just... Yeah. It's just haunted. It, the, so the
0: film just has <laughs> this really dark and haunted fi- feeling that speaks to us now in a language that it that wasn't even written when the film was made. And there's also this whole story about the father being potentially like there's a, there's tabloids that are going to go after the father because he's a philanderer. And that's the reason that they have Sinatra and Celeste home there to try and give them this story about a wedding to distract from the scandal that could destroy the father's career and again yeah. it's all of this has all of these resonances it's all very complicated but I also think it's really rich it's like listening to a great album by a band who you know when they were in their when they were in their early 20s and now half of them are dead and now those early tracks just have a different haunted hmm. quality to them that was just exuberant hmm. at the time but we bring the weight of the knowledge that the people who were making it could never have had. And yet they delivered this document that speaks to us so differently now. Hmm. It sort of transcends whether it's good or bad or true or not true, but there is a deep truth to all of it. And I, and I do feel like there's something about the great music, like my own work with radio eight ball, has made me a big believer in music and film as a way of capturing and delivering synchronicity. And mm-hmm. this film just has that all over it. And yeah, yeah I, I mean, I can't imagine a, <laughs> another film that balances just totally light, pure joy and, some really dreadful nightmarish quality to it <laughs> as this maybe there is another one but i can't think of it i mean i haven't seen the day the the clown cried maybe maybe that <laughs> achieved that level but all this encoded racism that they that is not distinguished encoded predatory stuff that is not distinguished or noticed. There's the, the the class stuff that is undistinguished and unnoticed. And all of it, I don't know. Yeah, it's just I don't know what it says about me, but I <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's very uh, interesting. Yeah. Point.
3: <laughs> now soon does someone make a documentary with five people's point of view of high society and the things that they read into it. Yeah, like room, uh, what, like the room, whatever that. Kubrick like the room shining. two three seven of <laughs> yeah, high society. About. But what's interesting is you really could do that with any movie, like because everybody brings something different to their experience watching a thing. Like the stuff you just said, I didn't think about any of that stuff. <laughs> but when I'm thinking about you saying, it, I'm like, huh, well that's a very that's a very interesting way to look at this, and it's not wrong. I mean, it's art, you know, it's whatever you want it to be. Like, whatever oh, you I would love to be it. able to ask <laughs> Mia
0: Farrow about this movie. That would be. But
3: uh, yeah, that's, huh, very st- in, hmm, weird. <laughs> <laughs> you have an interesting mind, Andros Jones, I got to say. It's, uh, oh, it's interesting blame it on me. me. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, that's an interesting read on the movie that I would have never, I don't think I would have ever heard from anyone else but I like it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, well, that's what, that's what makes us. The world is wrong. weird (laughs) takes on films you've never considered before.
3: Uh, What are there? Any other haunted things or is that the end of the kind of the ghosts that are within this movie for you?
0: Well, it's, it's worth noting that this was Grace Kelly. I think I mentioned it, but this Mm -hmm. is Grace Kelly's last film. Yeah. Before she went off to become the princess of Monaco, mm-hmm. and that also gives it some haunting, mm-hmm. something haunted about it, and and also just her her character's struggles of wanting to marry this rich guy and 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 then like there, there's something sad about that. Like in real life, <laughs> she did marry the Tracy guy instead of. <laughs> Sinatra or Bing Crosby and maybe <laughs> she was happy I don't know but there's just something about it like yeah the character escaped that fate but the actress didn't yeah. and then yeah that this was the end for Celeste Holm as a film actor for the most part and it was also uh, it didn't do a lot for Lydia Reed who played the the kid sister either that was this was kind of one of her last films it was also one of Crosby's last. Uh, the only ones who really uh, who really did gr- it seemed like did great work after this would be Sinatra and Louis Armstrong. Yeah, uh, this was Cole Porter's last big thing. So, yeah, there is a some quality about this. This and oh, and and it's just worth noting noting that 1957 was the year. That Or 1956 was the year that Elvis Presley first appeared on TV. It was when he started recording for RCA Records. And there is this sense that rock and roll is going to end whatever this is the pinnacle of. Yeah. That this film... I'm really glad that it captures what it captures because that is going to end a year later, pretty much this year. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's interesting. Sinatra is going to do have a few more years of making really good records, and even in the song in uh, "Now You Has Jazz." I don't like that title. Bing Crosby sings the line, rock, 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 rock and roll. <laughs> and there are people who, who say that that might be the first appearance of the words rock and roll in a film. The
3: least rockin' appearance of the words <laughs> rock and roll. Bing Crosby saying it. Um yeah th- they
0: just yeah <laughs> and even that like there is just this sense of there is a tidal wave crashing over these people that they are unaware of <laughs> and it's going to wash them all into the 21st century yeah. and into this conversation and into all the stuff that we that we have brought into this conversation and that other people could as well um, um and i and that might also be what turns people off like there might be something where people watch this and they they either aren't super into these artists or they aren't into Cole Porter or just that the the darker and more troubling aspects of this hit home closer for them and make them not want to watch this film <laughs> as much as they'd want to watch West Side Story yeah. or South Pacific or or something but yeah
3: um,
0: yeah but I can't I think most musicians I can' if we had a, a gathering of musicians who had watched a lot of musicals. I gotta think that this, this has got to be loved by by many others. Yeah. This particular version of this musical. Hmm.
3: The fun fact that I found about this movie has to do with its Oscar nominations. Because I always wonder whenever we do a movie for the show, and this happens with AJ and I too in our show, especially because he's obsessed with the Oscars. I'm always like, did this movie get anything? Did it, like, was this movie appreciated at all at the time or was it hated or what? And it got two nominations, one for Original Song for True Love and one for Best Score right by Johnny Green and Sal Chaplin. Um, didn't win, but the funny fact, this is the funny like asterisk under this, it was originally nominated for Screenplay, but they accidentally gave it to another movie called High Society that was a Bowery Boys movie, came out at the same time. And the Academy wrote down, like, gave it to the writers, uh, Elwood Elwood Ullman and Edward Burns, who wrote this Bowery Boys movie, being like, "Here you are, the gr- best writers of the," f- but nominated for High Society, and it was the wrong movie. I don't know if that's ever happened before or since that they nominated the wrong people, thinking it was the other movie, just because they didn't check. This <laughs> is also called High Society. And I guess the writers were polite enough to immediately note their error <laughs> and be like, there's no way you meant to nominate our movie. And they corrected the mistake. Like the actual writers were like, we it clearly isn't this comedy that we wrote. You must be thinking of that big Hollywood movie. Because if and it's funny because this week I've been watching a lot of Bowery Boys movies, and they are like the opposite of this movie. Like it is, they're so low budget, they are like no budget there's no real stars unless you consider the Barry Boy stars i do and it's just like yeah. it's uh you know it's it's very kind of homemade in a weird way and very kind of uh, sloppy in its way but great and the the and like the idea of that script being nominated and not this one and then what's funny is they ended up just not nominating the script for this high society <laughs> it just went to this music they're, they're just, just so like forget we did the got it wrong and forget it and they just did music Uh, Because I guess it would have to be an adaptive screenplay because of the of it being Philadelphia story and a play even before that. So like that, I found that very amusing. And I think I, if I were them, I wish they would have just been like ride it through and just show up to the Oscars and be like, "Yep, we wrote,
0: we wrote High Society." (laughs) But for now, you said there's no movie stars, but weren't they like they appeared in other movies? Like they were in Angels with the Faces, the Academy movie, right?
3: Yeah, but they're but they're not like. Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, and Grace Kelly, and Louis Armstrong. Like they, and nobody really cares about the Bowery Boys now, you know. Like it's not, But they were their own, like they made 60 movies or something crazy like that. So they clearly, audiences went to see Bowery Boys films. Um, I'm working my I always liked them. Me too. Uh, my only complaint is they're a comedy team with like maybe three too many members. Because there's too many of them and I can't keep track of who's who. Well it's like, like the little
0: rascals. They're like the they're like the yeah, they're like, teenage little which rascals. Which is weird.
3: Yeah. But I like I like it. But it's definitely funny to think of that movie being nominated for an Oscar. Uh they should have embraced it like later on. They should have put a DVD on it being like Oscar nominated film high society, and you just trick people buying like a three dollar DVD of some Bowery Boy's bad transfer.
0: Uh, <laughs> how how old did the were the Bowery Boys when they made the last of their movies? Were they all like in their forties playing? <laughs> I mean, playing there's
3: some movie twelve year olds? There's a movie in the seventies where Leo Gorsi, and Hunt Hall shows up, and they're old men by that point. I mean, they their last movie together was like in the late fifties, I think, and then they started in the, you know, the thirties, like you know, or whatever. So like they had to be kind of old by that point it's sort of you know the three stooges had the same thing where there was a certain point where it's like man these are like really old men throwing pies in each other's faces and there's something like endearing slash sad about that at the same time it's it's like a weird feeling to see old people do slapstick like the the later jerry lewis where he's falling down you're like that's gotta hurt that's gotta hurt him like what are you doing (laughs) like this old man is falling down uh Anyways, this is a tangent that.
0: <laughs> but like uh, one thing just, I was curious: have you? Did you ever make the? Con- I always sort of felt like th- the actors aren't the same. But I, as a kid, in my mind, because I was, they were all in reruns at the same yeah. time. I kind of felt like the Bowery Boys became uh, that the biker gang from the <laughs> Beach Blanket <laughs> Bingo movies with Arnold von Zipper, and like I always felt like that was like. Kind of, it was like the Bow, like they were doing the Bowery Boys, like an updated version of the Bowery Boys. Yeah, you ever I feel mean, there's like several
3: that? movies, like the Lemon Grove Kids, that Ray Dennis Deckler movie is is definitely him riffing on the Bowery Boys. Like it was definitely, it it had an effect. I mean, they were they made movies for decades, and so it definitely people grew up with it and it had an effect on them. And that that kind of way, that kind of weird thing of seeing kind of grown up, sort of grown up guys. Look like the little rascals is odd, or just kind of be like, We're this weird ragtag group of 20 year olds, and so, like, that's gonna have a profound effect on people. So, then, like, those Beach Blanket movies are great because those are all played by grown ups, but all wearing weird costumes, and they're led by Timothy Carrier or whatever. And it's just like an odd thing. I can totally see that for sure. (laughs) End of story. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian and I'm AJ and we have a podcast called The Director's
0: Wall, examining a filmmaker's career film by film. First up was M Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe by Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.
3: Hi, everybody. Sorry to interrupt this show that you're probably enjoying, but I'm comedian Kevin Dombrowski, who you probably don't know. Joined weekly by my producer, Adam, a little bit more well-known than me, Hinneker. Say hi, Adam. True. He's got a point. Uh, dial it back. Each episode, I'll sit down with a very famous comedian that you probably do know. And if they're not famous, you probably know them anyway. And we'll break down what's happening in the world by making fun of all of it. This is Just Joking on the Paperhouse Network. No interviews, no arguments, just jokes. Now, back to your show that you were already enjoying.
0: Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show.
3: We did it. Good. I think... I'm glad that we did this. We've been doing some uh, heavier movies. Uh, and I mean, you ended up making this movie a heavier movie with your read on it. But <laughs> at the time
0: when I watched it, I was like,
3: hey, he picked a musical. This is great. Uh,
0: <laughs> I thought so too. It was like, I, I rewatched it last night. I I mean, I didn't... It's just I turned out... I was like, uh, oh, he's watching it. I guess I'll watch it too. I didn't think we were going to be recording. And... Then as I'm watching it, I'm like, "Oh no, oh shit!" Well, Scooby oh, we just got out of the way before okay. the
3: yarn started stretching across your uh, apartment, so I think it's good <laughs> to get in the can immediately. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't want to sit with that
0: for weeks. Just
3: like, oh, I didn't realize this was Hollywood Babylon three. <laughs> this is like. <laughs> but... Yeah, no, was, uh, I'm glad to have watched it. And no, it was really, and we rarely pick older movies. We should do more of that. We, I think, we get kind of stuck in like the yeah. 70s to 90s, but I think it's good to go back. Yeah. you know, before we were born, <laughs> to, to older things. I,
0: you know, would have been, you know, what what I would have loved with this film is if Gully Jimson showed up at this party cuz it's same same kind of era it's a little bit later that uh that the horse's mouth <laughs> comes out but i feel like gully jimson would have loved to like show like if up he at walked into the
3: room when they're both drunk and he just opened up the bar and he's just like you know <laughs> His, like,
0: can you can you see him and Louis Armstrong? Yeah, they would just be like, "Fuck
3: these millionaires!" Like, he would he would he Arrgh. would break Arrgh. In Arrgh. into Arrgh. one of those abandoned mansions and take over and start painting on the walls. That's what would have happened. Yeah, right. Or not the abandoned one. Just someone on vacation. He would have just like when Bing Crosby's across the street at Grace Kelly's house. He's there, you know, drinking his booze and yeah. painting his wall. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. When we aren't doing the show, we have our own podcasts. You have the Radio Eight Ball Show. I already did my explanation of it always, but I'll do it again. <laughs> you have a show called the Radio Eight Ball Show. You're taking a little bit of a break, but you're—I heard you're coming back soon. Perhaps uh, episode six, six, seven, maybe will come before uh, the summer's reached its middle. Is this—is this a hope for fans?
0: It could happen. It could happen, <laughs> but but I wanted I want to tell you a little. I want to tell you a little story. Okay, Brian, that relates to this to this film we just. You covered.
3: had Frank Sinatra on the first episode of your show, and what was the question that he asked? And did a Bing Crosby song answer that question?
0: No. Oh. Okay. Nope. Oh. Nope. <laughs> nope. This. Is, I think this is a little bit cooler. Okay. So when I was a young actor, just moved out to Hollywood. I got I was at the I was taking acting classes at the Vincent Chase workshop. Uh Bill Paxton was one of the actors nice. at the workshop and John Corbett Ooh. another one of the actors yeah. at the at the workshop and other people but I think those are probably the the two most famous actors. And um and it was a scene study and if you've heard the name Vincent Chase the that was the name of the the adrian grenier character in entourage and i'm sure that was a, a joke or a reference to the vincent chase workshop uh, vincent chase was a he had he was a, one of the better respected acting teachers in hollywood sort of a journeyman guy who who was a a studio coach in the days of the of the studios the waning days of the studios and the late 50s and through the 60s. Anyway, so when I got there I I had I did my I had my first scene study class and my first scene partner was Tracy Lord. The <laughs> not the character from this film, but the the historical figure, the underage porn star Tracy Lord. And we were doing a a scene from a play called Hooters <laughs> in which my I'm supposed to play this like guy who's pretending like he's tough and he talks tough. And then when the girl he's the, the girl he's with is like, hey, well, just then let's get it on. Come on. He gets all wimpy and scared. And that's the scene. And we were preparing for the scene. And and I looked out at, at the and all of the guys from the acting class were there to watch our scene. And I was like, "Hey, I, Tracy, what's what? Why is everyone here?" Uh, and she's like, "Well, they're probably here to see me." I'm like, "Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I, are you famous? Am I supposed to know who you are?" She's like, "Oh, let me tell you." <laughs> and so I got the firsthand account of Tracy Lord's and you know basically her rise to fame in the fame and infamy in the porn business. And then, uh, you know, and then, and if you can imagine, I'd never seen porn. I'd seen like Playboy magazines up till that point. Maybe a penthouse or two, but I had never seen any porn. I had no idea. I was a very, very uh, sheltered young kid. And you can imagine I was just like very, this whole thing made me very nervous and aroused and excited <laughs> and weirded out and then we went out and did this scene and i have the videotape of this scene i still have it of me acting <laughs> on crappy videotape in a seduction scene with tracy lord and you know she's in lingerie and it really does look like it could be <laughs> one of her like it ends the tape ends right when we start kissing and so it's like <laughs> it's like the bad. It Tracy looks Lord like movie. it could be a porn, like a bad Tracy Lord. You should film. put this on our website um,
3: for the episode of this movie. Like unrelated, so that way if anyone <laughs> didn't listen to this episode but just went to the page, like oh high society, like wait, what is this? Should I be watching this?
0: What is this on here? But what is, what is the the thing? The lesson I learned, and it really disturbed me so much. So the thing was she. If I hadn't known that, well, not knowing that, I just thought she was one of the most interesting actors in our group. She was really, she's very talented actor and a, obviously a very compelling person, like a charismatic and attractive, very attractive person, but mostly just a very, very interesting actor. And when I, I at the time I was living with, a, with someone who was a an industry professional who had been in the business much longer than me. I was just new to new to town. And I told him about this and he was like, Oh, well she's never going to work in legit films because you know, she's just, she's damaged goods. And I just thought there was something that was so rank about that whole thing. And I've always had my, a chip on my shoulder about porn stars in films since then of like, every time I see a porn star make the leap to legitimate films as Tracy Lord did, I just kind of want to be, you know, take that you Hollywood insider, <laughs> you were wrong. Porn stars yeah, can they act. can't. How come? Yeah, we, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah Nina Hartley's great in Boogie yeah. Nights.
3: As uh, Bill Macy's, yeah. Diana yeah.
0: Prince is is great on the the last uh, last drive-in show with a Billy Bo- uh, Joe Bob Briggs show.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can yeah. have legitimate careers.
0: Why not? <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, I mean look at look at how good she is in uh, high society. <laughs> so,
3: yeah, amazing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know what that has, has to it do with you. Ball, yeah. Just it's just a, a little tale of synchronicity. I think your next episode so, should have yeah. Tracy
3: Lords on it and you should tell the story and see if she remembers you.
0: I have <clears throat> I have seen her at conventions since and I've told her the story and she's not amused.
3: <laughs> she's like get away from me kid who are you uh,
0: she's sick of guys talking to her about anything i can she's just,
3: uh, yeah i can see that that makes sense
0: <laughs> we had a uh, we had an uh, we had a limo ride just the two of us it turned out we were, we were leaving a convention and we we were back in the back of this limo and i i told her the story and actually she she was at that point she was nice about it because she was stuck in the car with me she couldn't afford to be a jerk <laughs> right. about it <laughs> but you could tell she wanted to she was ready for the for the ride to be over when it was over. <laughs> and I just realized that the whole time I've been talking about my sort of friend from acting class Tracy Lords I've been saying Tracy Lord which is the name of the character in the film which is just another one of the ways that this film is very is more confusing than you'd think it would be. And yeah. uh it's almost as if it was directed by a great director. Someone like I don't know, like Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, <laughs> and and you know a little bit about Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, not many people know this, but Brian is a Coppola. You're a Coppola, right? You're one of the you're one of the many, many no, Coppola I- kids. <laughs> No, I
3: I just look like one because I have a I love pasta and my belly shows it and I can grow, the best Coppola esque beard. Like many people have commented that when I grow a beard, like usually every winter time, it is a Coppola level beard. Like it's it goes beyond, you know George Lucas, beyond uh, even Kubrick into full Coppola because his beard kind of kind of rounds out in a nice way and that's how my beard is. It's it's the Sicilian blood, makes for good well-rounded beards.
0: Now I'm curious, have you devoted an episode of the director's wall, which is the podcast that you, you host with AJ Gonzalez. Have you devoted an episode of the director's wall to the various different stages of uh, um, Francis Ford Coppola's beard, or do you intend to <laughs> delve into that maybe as in a um, bonus, as a bonus episode? Maybe
3: that'd be a good bonus. Cause it's definitely like, it's shocking when he doesn't have one, like at the beginning of the making of Apocalypse now he is totally beardless, and that is very strange, or if you see pictures of him like in the sixties, sort of like corman pre corman era, beardless and weird, and even now his beard seems to be it's like more clean shaven, it's not as full and big, so yeah, we could totally, but I think there would be a better like powerPoint, I feel like you have to have the visuals it's like maybe if we ever do like a live podcast agent, I can just have like a big screen going through all the different stages of Coppola's beard and then determining whether that tells you whether the movie's better than the other or what like where his beard was, where's his career. I don't know. It's interesting.
0: Maybe it's time for you to get out that wall with the string and the <laughs> thumbtacks and the Yeah. Pictures yeah. and you know. But it's
3: attached to my beard to Coppola's beard across the country. <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh where where are we at in this uh in this exploration of Francis Ford Coppola here at the end of this month? We are getting into a Tucker A Man in his dream.
3: So I'm excited to I've never seen it. I've never wanted to see it. It always looked very boring to me. Like I remember the cover and looking at it even as a child. And you know this is a bad one. It's like when you're a child and you're like, no, I don't want to see that. So, but it could be great. I love Jeff Bridges. You know, I I drive a car. Maybe it's really good. I don't know. I definitely I feel will be a surprise to me, and I don't think AJ's seen it either. So, like, we're about to do that episode, and that's gonna be like a good sort of like I think it's the almost the last one that I haven't seen. There's a few more after, but like this is definitely a big hole in my uh, knowledge of uh, Coppola.
0: Have you seen it? Is Tucker before Gardens of Stone? gardens of stone is
3: before and that one will have been out by the time this episode's out got already okay well coming coming up is gonna be uh yeah
0: i've seen tucker i think a couple times when when it came out and then i'm pretty sure i saw it on cable or rented it at at a later date when i was doing my own francis ford coppola film festival at one point or another Uh, and it's i haven't seen it in a long time but I think especially in the context of Coppola, I'm gonna say you're gonna like it.
3: okay good <laughs> I don't know.
0: I mean uh, I what I here's what I do remember. I feel like it was the beginning of the world getting right about Martin Landau. Mm, if I remember mm. correctly, I feel like that was when he just started went on started this run of. Academy Award nominated supporting roles like this and Ed Wood and crimes and misdemeanors. And then he was all of a sudden the great actor that he'd always been. But people didn't really think of him that way until uh, I feel like until this film, maybe hmm. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was just the way I didn't see him that way. But I, I, rem- I feel like there was a sea change for him around this film, so
3: interesting. Yeah. Okay, I didn't even know he was in the movie. So now I'm excited at least for that because I do like him a lot.
0: Excellent, excellent, wonderful. And uh, okay, well, uh, should we should we should we let the listeners in on the the, the exciting news? Yeah, <laughs> let's let's do it. <laughs> uh, so this is
3: basically the last episode oh, of season one. Oh, what, Congratulations! Oh, wait, wait, hold.
0: You hold, you made it. Hold on! What what a way to break the news, what? You, uh, people, not just it's when it, Brian made it sound like it was a little like is that the last? It's just what's really happening is we're we're slowing things down a little bit for summer, and yeah, this is the end of season one. Uh, you're right. We're I was I was going to build up to that, Brian.
3: You know. <laughs> i like to rip the band-aid off okay so okay sorry. okay well, th- we'll
0: <laughs> deal with it folks then okay so uh so yeah yeah this is the end of season one and it's been amazing it's been we, we started this a year ago and i set a a demanding pace and brian you <laughs> mostly lived up to it <laughs> and yeah. You, yeah no you did a, i think i think you no i think we did a we did a great job together uh <laughs> keeping this thing going if you've ever done a podcast before you know that consistency is the is the is the key and it's the most difficult thing so finding someone to be consistent in doing this kind of endeavor with is just kind of a miracle so that's pretty cool and we are so what we're going to do is we're going to we're we're going to take a quasi-break for the next month and that doesn't mean we're not going to come out with anything our next episode is going to be a sort of season one retrospective and a sneak preview of what we have planned for season two and also if uh, if any of you want to Write us any questions. That'd be a really good time. Any questions inspired by season one? That'd be a great time to write them to us, and we can. Get, or movies
3: you want us, us to cover for season two. Oh yes. Anything like if there's if there's anything like, I can't believe you haven't done this movie yet. Dot dot dot. Tell us. We we will consider it. You know. Yeah. We might not. We might not do it, but we'll consider it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, so that we're going to be doing that and then we're also going to be coming out with at least one bonus episode featuring a, an interview with the director Paul Williams who directed The November Men and he has a really uh, exciting and interesting story to tell. And so that'll be coming out. So we're not we're you know uh, for us taking a break just means kind of slowing down a little bit and then we're going to come back and season two already uh, we've picked a bunch of films that i'm really excited to talk about so me too yeah so dry your tears folks i don't know why brian (laughs) felt like he had to traumatize you with the way he said that but uh it's okay (laughs) so maybe just traumatize me because i i i I don't don't do well with endings I, Uh i don't like change when my I love change and I love me.
3: endings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well. Uh, okay, um. well, uh, then uh, then you know what? Why don't you close out this episode and tell the people, give them the bad news.
3: <laughs> so I just want to tell you folks, whoever you are, just remember, the world is wrong and it's probably wrong about you. sun wind when blown
4: Honeymooners at last alone Feeling far above par Oh